Welcome back to another edition of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Fluck, and I'm along with my co-worker Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic, and Jordan is at Atlanta Motor Speedway, where he has just witnessed the new Atlanta, I guess, super speedway style race. Um, wow, that was uh, definitely not what I expected. Uh, Jordan, we have a lot to talk about after this one. That was quite an eventful day. What did you expect? Yeah. What did you expect going in after watching the truck series race after watching the Xfinity series race? What were your expectations today? Cause mine were, I, I didn't think we were going to see a lot of passing. I thought it was going to be kind of side-by-side racing pack racing, but I didn't think we were going to see much passing outside of restarts. And what I witnessed today was not that it was, there was passing. Well, yeah. I mean, as I've, I've, said here multiple times, even on the podcast, I I did not think that the new Atlanta was going to work. I did not, uh, picture the reconfiguration being able to produce a super speedway style race at a one and a half mile track. Just didn't think that was possible because look, the, the bottom line is NASCAR has been wanting to do this and trying to do this, hoping to do this on intermediates for a long time now. That's why they went to the whole 550 package in the first place. I mean, Brian France back in his day had talked about wanting to have you know, super speedway style type races, you know, all the time, except for short tracks, obviously, um, you know, back when they first did the 550 package and all that stuff, they talked about, you know, we want to have, uh, we, we don't want to have the wall of sound. We want to have, you know, a whole pack come by the stands at every single mile and a half track. This is, this is what they were trying to achieve all along, but I've just felt like, you know, okay, just cause they're increasing the banking a lot and cutting down the horsepower, you know, at some point, yeah, they'll, they'll start out as a pack, but they're going to break apart. And then once they break apart, you're not gonna be able to pass, but this looked like a super speedway race to me. I mean, I would classify it just right up there. The same as Daytona and Talladega. It was a super speedway and it raced like that. It wrecked like that. Um, I think that if you like that kind of racing, you probably like today, but, um, you know, yeah. So, uh, you know, I have to apologize in terms of not thinking they were going to pull it off because they, they did get get exactly what they were going for and got what they wanted. Uh, I think is if, you know, if you're looking at it from SMI's perspective, mission accomplished for them. That, and that's the thing it was, there was no, there was questions of whether you could import what you see at Talladega, what you see at Daytona to a mile and a half racetrack. I, I didn't know if they could, you talk to people, there was a lot of skepticism, you can, I don't think you could watch this race today and not say that this was exactly what they were looking for. I, I mean, I talked to Marcus Smith after the, the race today, who Speedway Motorsports president, and he was very happy with what he saw. And he basically, this was kind of what they envisioned when they started this project a few years ago. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes from here. And I think that's the big question because this is a, a success. It seems to be that this is what SMI wanted. This is what, I think probably NASCAR wanted, they want to see this kind of racing. I think it, it'd be really hard pressed to say that this race wasn't more entertaining than previous races. Most of the, most of previous races at Atlanta. And I don't know how you could even, even think of going back to what you could, you, you can think of on an intermediate racetrack after watching today, because I think if you did that, you're going to have a lot of upset fans and everybody I spoke to afterwards kind of said the same thing, which is basically, if this is what fans want, if they are entertained and this is how they respond, then this is what you have to do going forward. 
Yeah, and I guess that's the question, right? Is this what people want? It, it seemed like it was, uh, first of all, I mean, the grandstands looked like a good crowd. So, you know. Marcus the, Smith said the biggest crowd, I, in a, I forgot the exact date, but I think he said like 10 years or something. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looked that way from TV. And by Atlanta standards, certainly it was it was large. Um, you know, so th this obviously drew people in. So SMI, you know, people like that are going to look at that and say, hey, success. And then, uh, you know, when you look at the raw statistics of it, of the race, you know, um, the most lead changes in track history, the most lead changes of any NASCAR Cup Series race since Talladega playoff race of 2020, um, you know, uh, 20 different leaders, another track record, passes, I think we're way up from a stat I saw from, from Mike Ford uh, from NASCAR PR, I think it was like you know, three races combined worth of passes or, or some crazy thing like that. So when you look at those kind of metrics, um, you know, th that all indicates th again, that they got what they wanted. However, you know, for me, and, and so I've, I've been kind of dreading this all day in a way. And I, I avoided talking about it on Twitter cause I don't want to poison. I don't want to poison other people's enjoyment of the race, but this, this is not you know, this is not what I was looking for sort of as a spectator of the race. Now, if, if other people like it, that's great. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I don't want to take away from that because clearly a lot of people on Twitter, you know, who were responding to me like, wow, this is a great race, best race of the year. They were saying best ever race at Atlanta, all this kind of uh, thing. But, you know, it, it's sort of like, hey, we, we've just been celebrating, uh, you know, this year on the podcast everywhere else you know, Hey, wow, Fontana, wow, wow, Vegas, finally back in the driver's hands. You know, it's, they're hard to drive again. You have the, they have the off throttle time with the new car. Hey, look at that. Like that's, that's really impressive. They're really going out there and driving and, and having to, to race it. And, you know, this was like a giant in that regard to me, this was like a giant step backward because it, this, this race, you know, this had nothing to do with anything, right? This had nothing to do with who, you know, to me built the, the fastest cars or who had the best strategy or, um, you know, this was just like a crash fest survival, 500 miles, way too long, almost a four hour race. Um, you know, but again, it's, it's a super speedway type thing, but for, I, I, I don't mind super speedways in the sense that they're four times a year at, at Talladega and Daytona, but this, I don't need another one. I, 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 will actually want to see the best drivers, the best stock car drivers in the world do their thing and show their stuff and show how good they are. Not, you know, kind of get stuck and ride all the way around and then, Oh, you know, they get in a crash, but I get that. I'm, I, I completely recognize that that's a very old school way of looking at it because again, a ton of people, probably most of you listening to this podcast, maybe, uh, really like this race. We're thoroughly entertained. And I'm not saying it wasn't entertaining. It just, that's, you know, my, my big fear is Jordan and, and you, you alluded to this. They're going to make every mile and a half repave from now on. And it, you know, it's going to take years cause they're not just going to go out and suddenly redesign every mile and a half track. But the next time something comes up and they say, how do, what do we want to do with our mile and a half track? What do we want to do? You know, they're going to be like, Oh, let's, let's do it. Let's do another Atlanta. That's awesome. Look at all the attention and look at all the highlights and the crashes and the attendance and look at all the things that happened there. Um, that's, that's the NASCAR way, right? You know, as soon as you see something that works, you want more of it and you try to replicate it over and over and over again. And I just don't think that's a good direction to go in, but, um, I think that's probably what's going to happen. And so I don't know. I kind of like watched the race today, uh, 
just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to enjoy it and try to keep an open mind, but I just couldn't get there. It just felt like a lot of those 550 races for me last year of, except even more extreme of fighting myself on, Hey, I guess this is entertaining, exciting, but is this real racing? Jordan, what, go ahead and weigh in. If this would have been the old Atlanta, I would not have wanted to see this type of racing, but that Atlanta is gone. And we, we talked about how that, that shouldn't have happened. But if you're going to have a new track with pay, you know, slick grippy, high, high grip pavement, I don't see how the new car would have put on a good show on this track today. I, I just don't think it would have been that compelling. And the idea is, is to give your customers entertainment and, and compelling racing and to captivate them and to give your television audience a reason to continue to tune in and to be excited about what they're seeing. This was the answer. Now, we all would have done the reconfiguration of Atlanta differently, I think. I think we all probably would have probably gone way more short track or something. But it is what it is. Now, do I want to see this every week? No, this is like candy. I mean, I want small doses here and there. You know, I'm not going to eat all of my candy at once and I don't want to have it on a weekly basis. I don't want to see this at Vegas. I don't want to see this at Texas. I don't want to see this at Kansas. You know, Rick Hendrick was asked this post-race about was as an owner, is he okay with, you know, more super speedway races? And he said he was okay with Atlanta doing this, but he doesn't want to see it beyond six. So if we can somehow maybe convince the powers that be to, not take this elsewhere. I, I think that's what, you know, I hope we can do that, but I will say this, what we saw today isn't always going to be what we witness at, at, at Atlanta. I think when you come back here in July, th this track is going to be a little bit more warm. It's going to be hot and slick. Um, I talked to some people in the garage today and they kind of said the same thing, which was they could see this track evolving to where the packs are broken up and you're not having one big pack. You've kind of got a bunch of little packs and, tire wear is going to matter and drivers are going to have to fight the car. It's going to be slick and you're going to have to hang on to the car. And there, there's going to be a skill to this. It's not going to just kind of be what we today saw today, which is a large pack of cars, just, you know, going at it, seemingly everyone equals. So I'm kind of curious to see where this goes and evolves to, because I don't think, I think today kind of might be the exception going forward to what we see at Atlanta. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because to me, First of all, what you're talking about is going to take years and years and years, but the, you know, okay, let's say the track gets worn out. This wasn't just a normal repave. This was a high banked extreme repave, right? So even if the track does get worn out, I mean, remember when old Daytona got worn out? I mean, it was still Daytona, you know? Yeah, it was a little bumpier and, and handling came into play more, but you still had packs of cars and things like that. So, um, when this track does get worn out, just the high banks alone, um, I, I, I think it will continue to produce this type of racing, presuming they bring this type of package and don't go to an unrestricted race. I saw a video of Kurt Busch, uh, after the race saying he already wants to see unrestricted at, uh, Atlanta for the July race. But as William Byron said in the post-race press conference, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to look at this race today and say, you know what we need to do? Not do this when we come back to Atlanta, because I bet you the phone, the phone lines, the ticket lines are already lighting up for, uh, people that want to come see this at Atlanta who either were there today or didn't get to see it the first time, because this is ultimately what people want. It might not be what I want personally, but this is not about me. I'm just expressing my opinion. 
I, I remember um, it was a few years ago, and I was in the garage talking to somebody who works for NASCAR. And this was in when I had been on you know a really big short track push, more short tracks. I'd just written a, another thing about, hey, you know, got to go more short tracks, got to go to more short tracks. And, you know, this person from NASCAR said, you know, here's the thing. Everybody says they want more short tracks, but when you look at the TV ratings and you look at the attendance, you know what people really want more of? More super speedways. That's what people really want more of. And so I think that there's been this feeling within NASCAR for a long time of like, Hey, um, if we can get more super speedways, if we can somehow slip that in there, that would be a big win because those do do big ratings because people want to see the crazy crashes and the chaos and the carnage and, um, people pack the stands for those kind of things. As much as I want to see other types of racing, that's just not what I think the majority of fans want. Now, some fans are certainly going to listen to this and, and agree with me. I think a lot of drivers would probably agree with me you know, that you, you want to see, you know, sort of like the quote, real racing. This was not it. This was not real racing. This was entertainment. Fine. That's fine. But you know, it's, it's so, so weird because sometimes you just feel like you don't know which direction NASCAR really wants to go. It's almost like NASCAR's fighting itself, right? Like NASCAR gives the drivers, uh, the 670 package and you go to Fontana and, and there's, and NASCAR on social media and, and in their comments from the executives, they're celebrating, wow, we put it back in the driver's hands. What a great race. Isn't this amazing? The new car, all the stuff. Then you go to Atlanta a few weeks later and you say, isn't this amazing? Look at this super speedway. You know, we, we Frankenstein this mile and a half track into a, <laughs> into a Daytona and isn't this great now? And, and you're sort of like, well, which, what do you want? I mean, I, I don't really know what the, what the answer is. Maybe their answer is just. Hey, we're just trying to entertain you every week, no matter how we do it, whether that's dirt or a street course or a Coliseum or a short track or a super speedway on a mile and a half or a worn out track, whatever it is, you know, we're just going to entertain and, and we're not, you know, whether that's real racing, not real racing, we don't really care how we get there, but I I'm personally sort of confused at what, what they really want or what direction they're really trying to go because, um, I mean, this was just so different than anything we've seen. And, and it's tough not to look at this today and, and think that this is uh, something that we could see replicated in the future. Can I take exception with something you said? And you, you said you didn't, I want to make sure I put, you, you were kind of saying that this didn't seem like the drivers were the best. This was the best showcase of drivers. Is that, that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. Okay. I, I kind of take exception with that because I look at the guys in contention today and you had a Byron who's really good in super speedway races. You had a Ross Chastain who comes in on a hot streak and ran really well today, came back from two laps down. You had a Kurt Busch, you had a, uh, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, a Hamlin, Logano, the, you know, a Stenhouse, Almirola. These are the guys that are usually in the mix in these super speedway races. That is a skill set in of itself of knowing how to get to the front, knowing how to put on moves, when to make moves, when to lay back. So I think we're kind of discrediting them a little bit and saying that this isn't a showcase of a driver's skill. It's a different kind of skill that is being showcased. And I think that was on display today. I mean, I, I'll, I'll argue with you a little bit on that because, you know, toward the end, I was looking at the top five and I was like, oh, you know, like you're saying, hey, you know, it's Bubba, Byron, Blaney, Almirola. And you're like, these are, these are people, Jones, these are people who have won on super speedways before and have proven they're good on super speedways. Um, but then I thought, you know, 
how many people could you say that about in the field? You could say that about a lot of different people in the field because there's so many different winners on super speedways overall. And there's so many different names that get up there and perform. I mean, ultimately you're talking about, Hey, this is more even. And maybe you see people up there, you know, like a Corey LaJoy who don't normally come to play on, on, you know, sort of the normal mile and a half track. I mean, uh, to me, yeah, you could say once those guys got track position at the front, okay, you know, like they know how to handle the draft, but there's a lot of really, really, really talented race car drivers that if you were, you know, 12th place today and too wide stuck back in the pack, there was nothing you could do. There was nothing you could do. And, and that's, I mean, is that how you, is that the best use of your driver's talent and skills to take Kyle Larson, one of the best race car drivers of this generation in the entire planet? And, you know, Hey, sorry. Yeah. You, you, you're just kind of helpless and you don't really, you're not really controlling your own destiny in this race. Um, I don't know. Again, I think I I disagree with that though, just because there was guys who came from the back though today, whether it was a Blaney who had to make an extra pit stop, whether it was Logano, Keselowski did. I mean, there was guys who were able to kind of pick and cherry pick their way through the field and it was different. Like you couldn't make these big, bold moves and pass three, four cars because it was so narrow, but you could come from the back. It just wasn't, it was a gradual thing and not a snap your fingers and all of a sudden I'm back up at the front kind of thing. Well, you had to wait for other people to wreck and huge, big ones. And then you get your track position, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I certainly, I, I would acknowledge that people I'm sure drove from the back at times. And obviously with the lead changes themselves, I mean, a, a crazy high amount of lead changes, a crazy high amount of different leaders. Um, but you know, I guess when we talk about those stats, it almost reminds me of, um, back when they had the tandems at Talladega and they set, uh, I think there was something like 88 lead changes or something. I, I'd have to go back and look, but it's on some poster in Talladega. It was for a while in the media center of the records they set that year. Um, and wow, un- unbelievable. Cause the, remember back then the, the tandem drafting, they were changing the lead pretty much every single lap yeah. uh, for the most part. And you know, but at the time people were also like, man, I hate the tandems. I hate the tandems. Um, so you could look at that and say, well, geez, you know, the most lead changes ever in track history or, or in years, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that does that directly equal good racing? Um, certainly I would say it equals exciting, unpredictable racing. Yes. But, um, I'm probably even spending too much time on this. And, and I messaged you during the, during the race that I was, uh, I didn't want to come up across like a, a grumpy asshole. <laughs> uh, and you said, well, be yourself basically. Um, <laughs> But now, you know, if that's a grumpy asshole, Jeff, that's your words, not mine. I just want to <laughs> say that I'm just going to sit here and stare at a bag of pretzels in this closet that I'm sitting in. If you're referring to yourself as a grumpy asshole, I just want to clear that's you, not me. Well, I feel bad. I feel bad because wouldn't look, I, I love coming on after a race like Talladega, like a uh, Fontana, sorry. And being so excited. Like I cannot wait to talk to you about this race and, and get so into it. And it was just everything that I wanted out of it. And you know, I spent four hours, uh, today watching this one and just being like, man, I, I just can't get there. I just can't get there. But uh, like, again, I don't, I don't want to come across as that, that person. And, and so many of you are, are being like, man, I really enjoyed this race. Now I listen to the teardown. You're <laughs> ruining my vibe, you know, negative Jeff Gluck, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's Makes just my day, by the way. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you love, you, you do love that. But, um, 
Anyway, uh, so William Byron uh, wins his third career race. Uh, two are on super speedways. One was at Homestead. But, you know, he really, despite there being 20 different leaders, he led 111 laps today, uh, which was the most he's led in a race in his career. Nobody else led more than 42 laps. That was Ross Chastain. So he really dominated the race. He led eight different times. Uh, certainly deserved to win it. It wasn't like, um, you know, some fluke win at all. I mean, he, he certainly went up there and did it. But um, does this mean anything, Jordan, for for his season going forward? Does this Do you, do you take anything away from this about his performance, anything like that? A um, couple things. One, they've had a lot of speed. And for him to close out a victory, I think, is big because that's something that's missed. You go back to Homestead last year, they win there. It felt like, okay, this is William Byron taking this next step. And we expected them to win a bunch of races last year. It didn't happen. They, you look at the stats, look at the deeper stats. They should have won three, four races, and it just didn't happen. But this, to me, is a team that has had speed this year. They haven't had the finishes to correspond with that. Some mistakes, some bad luck. Get that win. Put that behind you. That's important. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about Kyle Larson. We seem to talk a lot about Alex Bowman because he's winning races. It's, you know, it's easy to get lost in that shuffle. And when you're William Byron, you can get yourself back to your victory lane. They put you in that discussion as well. That, to me, is a big thing. And any way you can get a win at this point is a good thing. And it, it's it's nice to get that pressure off earlier in the season and kind of, you know, kind of you don't have to press so much. And I think this is a, an interesting thing for this team. This goes back to what we said last year is how does this driver, how does this team now go to that next step where they are consistent up front, they lead a bunch of laps, and they start winning multiple races a year. Well, and overall, it's it's yet another win for Hendrick. True, um, very true. You know, and boy, I mean, really, one of the big surprises to me is is just how well Hendrick has been doing. And and you know, it, again, it's not like uh, you know with the Larson win and the Bowman win um, that they they dominated those races, but they did win them. And now they have three of their four drivers already with wins this season um, through the first five races. And you know what? Their other driver, he's leading the point standings. Chase Elliott yes, is the points is. leader. Kind of so, quietly too. Yeah, very quietly. And, you know, his his uh ovalless win streak, I guess, continues. Um, hasn't won on an oval in quite a while now, but you know, that he's still up there. He's still performing yeah. well. And um, you know, next week they get Coda, uh, where you could think, you know, I he won I would a year say, ago. Yes, and and you would think that he and Larson are are the favorites there, really. Yeah. Um so, I mean, obviously you'll have, you'll have Almondinger and, um, you know, Briscoe and Cindric, people Cindric. like that, but yeah, but, uh, and Reddick, you know, th there'll be other people to challenge them, but I guess my point is in bringing this up that Hendrick, despite the new car, despite the reset, despite all the parody talk, which has be <laughs> certainly been there, Hendrick just continues to perform well and, and get the wins under their belt. So they're, they're doing it, you know? I would go further than that and say, yes, Hendrick is winning these races. It is Chevrolet, though, overall, that is kind of dominating. Um, look beyond just Hendrick. Trackhouse, again, Ross Chastain, Daniel Suarez, both left with, what, top five finishes today? That's right. Uh, yep. Chastain. Chastain was second. Yeah. Uh, Suarez was fourth. Yeah, Chastain, third week in a row, almost came away with the win. Suarez was in the mix all day. You go to the Richard Childress Racing. Um, Tyler Reddick, again, strong run. Didn't have to finish, but he was in the mix. Looked really good. Austin Dillon was running in the top 10, uh, much like he was last week at Phoenix. Got caught up in a wreck, not of his own doing. Chevrolet, 
it, it has to be said, it, it's really hit this hit the package well for this Eric next Jones gen. was up there. Eric Jones, absolutely. Another one. Um, they have they have hit on something. They they are clearly the manufacturer. Stenhouse too. Stenhouse, and then yeah. the, he has a tire blow while leading. So yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, just to add to your point, um, Chevrolet continues to be strong across the board. Fords um just don't seem to quite have the same strength and then Toyota, as we've documented. Uh, their last win was last October with Bubba. So yeah. despite them getting closer, showing speed at times, they just can't can't close Snake. it out. And, and Denny Hamlin and it seems snake bit. I mean, they've had speed in their race cars, and again, doesn't doesn't have anything to show for it. Kyle Busch running up front again today got caught up in something. It just seems like they things are just kind of adding up against them right now. I mean, Denny Hamlin, despite like you said, I mean they if they could just have a clean race, uh, once again, they don't, once again, they don't finish. And he's 26 in points behind Ty Dillon, Corey LaJoy, Justin Haley. Um, you know, it, look, it, it's, it's one thing to go after Daytona or Fontana, the first one or two races and go, Oh boy, he's off to a bad start in the points. Um, at some point you need to go, Oh, yikes. They really need to pick it up. Um, again, you, you assume that he's going to win, but if he doesn't, he's building quite the pole, quite the hole for himself <laughs> at this point. Um, now again, like they're a pretty strong team. So if you, you just feel like they have a few clean weeks, they can pick things up. But, um, you know, I, I guess the, pro the one problem is too, the, you know, the dynamic of all this changes now with, with all the sort of crazy things that have been thrown into the schedule of the last few years, right? You have another Talladega race. You have another Atlanta race which is another, obviously another super speedway. We need to start thinking of it that way. Um, and another Daytona race. So there's three more super speedways, which anything can happen. Yes, you could win, but you could also have terrible finish. There's all these road courses coming up. Yes, you could do really well. Yes, you could get spun off into the gravel, get stuck and have a terrible day. Um, there's short track races where you can get taken out. Um, there's, you know, who who knows what else, what else craziness sort of, lurks out there, uh, just on a, on a weekly basis. And all of a sudden the regular season starts slipping away and you say, well, we'll get them at this track where we know we, sure. we can just go ahead and have speed. You might not get that chance. You can't count on that. So it's, we kind of have to change our mindset now, as far as how we look at NASCAR in general and, and that battle for the playoffs, especially with so many different winners, um, you know, five races, five different winners so far. Um, you're not going to do the, are we going to have more playoff drivers than more winners than playoff spots thing? Are you please tell me you're not. I mean, you wouldn't think so. And I know that the broadcast was trying to sell that. I, I mean, I, I would, you would not think so, but it, it, you know, we still don't know how the craziness with the new car is going to play out. Um, you know, there's still very strong drivers yet to win. And then when you consider people like, okay, Tyler Reddick, do you know, you feel like he's going to win one Ross Chastain. You feel like he's going to win one, you know, guys like that where you're not necessarily counting on them winning maybe in your playoff predictions. Right. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like that it starts to change the calculus a little bit. The, the further you go and the longer you go on, even if, even if there's not 16 different winners, the opportunity to race your way in on points starts to disappear a little bit when like, for instance, 
Austin Sendrick is already um, below the top 16 in points. So Brad Kozlowski, who's currently 16th, is not in the playoffs because you're already having Austin Sendrick leap, leapfrog him with the win. You know what I'm saying? So you, the more situations you get like that, remember what last year, wasn't it like 10th in points, like in 10th in the regular point standings didn't make it. Yeah, I think, I think Reddick was 11th because Hamlin, it was three, three drivers didn't make it on three playoff eligible drivers. Cause AJ Elmendinger was not playoff eligible that we had note that Denny Hamlin was second in regular season points. Harvick was top six or seven ish somewhere in there. I believe, and then I think Reddick was 11th. Yeah, so um, that's, you know, I, I just feel like that's going to come into play more. Uh, what, you're, you're kind of laughing at me, though. I just, I just, this whole conversation about more playoff drivers, well, drivers winning races and playoff spots available, it's just like we have this, seems like we have this every year. It happened last year. We had 11, we went 11 races before we had a repeat winner, and it was all of the talk. And it's like, these things just have a way of sorting themselves out. And until we get to like Michigan in August and it's like staring at us in the face, I just feel like it's a lot of wasted breath, but you never know. I mean, you make, I mean, I agree with everything you said though. And we said the same thing last year. We talked about this. There are so many unknowns. I mean, all of the super speedway races you mentioned, plus now Atlanta dirt road courses, you don't know, but things just, these things have a way of working themselves out and you're going to see guys start to hit on things and, and start winning races, the same guys. And, I don't know. We'll see. You make a good point about Hamlin though, in that we, we see this every year and that there's always that one driver who like you think is going to have this monster year and then doesn't Harvard goes from nine wins to zero wins, right? Jimmy Johnson comes off a championship in 2016, wins three races pretty early in the 2017 season. And you think, Oh wow. Like he's got, a, he's going to win an eighth title. And then what happens? Never wins race again in his career. I mean, it's just, you know, Carl Edwards would go, I mean, Carl Edwards was the king of this. He would have this monster year. And then the next year would just be like off the radar. It, it, you do have this on, on a regular basis where guys just miss it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it can happen and it can slip away from you in a hurry for a lot of different reasons. But I think at the end of the day, I think my confidence in Hamlin is still very, very high and I'm not concerned about it, but I'm looking at it though. And it's the same conversation we had a week ago, Jeff, where it's like, there's some guys on this list. I mean, bell, you know, Wallace has started to kind of get up there a little bit. Keselowski, like there's these guys, you're starting to look at this going, okay, if you're, you're going to make the playoffs, you got to turn it around here pretty quick. Yeah. Bell, um, 30th in points. I mean, he was going to finish second today and then he got penalized for going below the line on the last lap and ends up 23rd as the last car in the lead lap instead of a second place finish that he really needed. So that's an expensive day for him points wise. And, uh, still, he's still 30th behind Todd Gilliland, in points, um, Todd Gilliland, obviously a rookie with no cup experience before this year. So that's not where Joe Gibbs racing driver wants to be. Um, no <laughs> Jordan to, to sort of put a bow on this, because I, I mean, unless I, I don't really know what, what else we can say about, you know, the performances today. Cause I don't really know what you can take away from this as far as like, Oh, this means this going forward for the season. Um, any race like this is just going to be unpredictable. We talked about, you know, Chevrolet, Certainly looked good, but aside from that, I don't think you can go and say, well, this team is outrunning this team right now because this was not that kind of race. But so I guess I wanted to know, I'm not sure I I got your complete take. I mean, did you enjoy this race? I did. I was entertained. Um, I, I, I was, I liked it. And I thought it was, I, I, I thought a lot about previous Atlanta races and I thought Jeff Gordon made a really good point on the broadcast when he talked about how drivers 
loved going to Atlanta for so long. And, you know, the, it was slick. It was challenging. And it really kind of put them in a spotlight of, you know, the best of the best would shine here. And he, when he joined the Fox broadcast, he was telling Daryl Waltrip this. And Waltrip would be like, just give it about 15 laps. And then the field would spread out and the margin of victory would be some ginormous, you know, number. And it was like, this isn't that entertaining. And I thought about this in the sense that, is it the fairest thing? I don't know if it's fair, but it was entertaining. It was good. And they were racing. And it's not much different than what we've seen in other sports, whether it's the NBA or the NFL particularly, where they have put an onus on offensive stats. They want to see entertaining, high-flying games, high-scoring games, and defense be damned. This is kind of the NASCAR version of that in a lot of respects. And if I look at it like that, you know what? I'm okay with it. I really am. I don't, I, and I don't want to see this every week. I, I don't want to see this 20 times a year. I think this is a good number. But at the end of the day, this is what fans want and they're entertained. It's okay to give it to them in small doses. That's a really, really good comparison. I have to, I have to say, I mean, that's just like the juice to ball your, uh, yeah. of NASCAR. Like you want to see a lot of the home runs. Um, you want to see the, the penalty shootouts in, in hockey and stuff for overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. You know, I, I, and look, I agree that Atlanta is not the most exciting track. I do think it put on a pretty decent race last summer, the July race that Kurt Busch won. I thought that was, that was pretty exciting. The spring race last year that, um, Larson completely dominated and Blaney tracked him down. That was not a good race at all. There was a surprise, you know, at the end sort of with Blaney, but, um, that, that wasn't a good race for the most part. And, and many Atlanta races have completely stunk. Um, but, you know, again, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just so tough to wrap your head around this and, and, uh, maybe I'll get used to it, but I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to see how, yeah, I'll tell you another thing too. It's like, oh man, you know, all these new cars, uh, we don't want to tear up these new cars. <laughs> you know, we got to save the team's money, Yeah. you know, oh, this is a new, new model to save the team's money and stuff. And like, more than half the field like to, you know, I, I know they're easy to re- easier to repair, yeah, but there's still a lot of damage when mm-hmm. parts are hard to come by right now. Um, everybody thought the West coast swing was going to be the big problem. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I talked, I mean, I talked to Richard Childers this week and I asked him about it and he was pretty candid. Like I walk around my shop and there's like, it's pretty bare. And I asked him about the car situation and he's like, we basically have like three and a half cars and that's far below what they expected. And they're bringing one backup car to the racetrack every week for both of their teams. And today, what happened? Austin Dillon got no wreck. Tyler Reddick got no wreck. Colleague Racing has teared up some race cars the past few weeks. I mean, it it adds up quick. And, you know, I, I go back to what Rick Hendricks said post-race, and I asked him the question, and he's like, you know, he in his estimation, he didn't think that the cars that were being wrecked largely, they were replaceable. They weren't written off like you normally see at Daytona Talladega. I don't know if that's the case, but in a, in a time when you've got no parts and pieces, man, this stuff adds up quick and you got to wonder, I mean, it ain't going to get any easier because road courses, we've seen what happened at road courses, man. And then you go to Bristol dirt and you got Martinsville coming up. It's, it's interesting. So, um, we need to still talk about F1 and IndyCar. So let's put a bow on this by, um, talking about the, was it a good race poll? You won the good race poll last week by doing it, quote, the right way. Thank you. Um, we were both way off, um, unfortunately, because people only said that, uh, what was it, 70% said Phoenix was a good race, by far the lowest race of the year to this point. Um, 
but uh, now you get to go first, Jordan. So I could potentially price this right you. I've been urged, by the way, by many people on Twitter um, to not bicker with you about this this week, including my own mother doesn't like to hear us fight about this kind of thing. So I'm not going to bicker. Uh, you have the first guess. What what will people say for the Was It a Good Race poll for Atlanta? 83%. What's your reasoning? I, I think at the end of the day, it was entertaining. It was action-packed. You had a compelling finish. It wasn't boring. The field didn't get strung out. It was so the antithesis of what we've seen in Atlanta so many times, which this is a much maligned racetrack. Drivers may have loved it, but fans have not, largely. And this, I think... People are going to really be excited by it. And I know social media is a bad thing to gauge off of. It seemed to do pretty well on that. And I, I'm going to go 83 confidently. Okay. I don't think it's a bad guess at all. And I, I could definitely uh -huh. see it being in the eighties. However, I, I already had a number in mind and the, the reasoning for this, no, I, I look, you can't really compare this to the last to previous Atlanta races, obviously, or really, there's really not many races you can compare this to since the poll's been around because it, this is a, a pretty polarizing one. In my opinion, people are going to feel very, very strongly about this one way or the other. Um, or they're going to completely be on the fence and be so torn about it. They're not going to know which way to vote. And I think that's just going to split votes a little bit more than, than the 83. And I feel like perhaps the most comparable race to that in recent times was Bristol dirt. Maybe that's just in internally because I was obviously, you know, not on, on the same page as a lot of other people about Bristol dirt. Um, and you know, people felt strongly one way or the other about it. So I'm going to predict the exact same poll percentage that Bristol dirt got, which <laughs> is 78.5. It's a good number. So, um, 78.5 is my guess for, um, this Atlanta super speedway race, by the way, I, I absolutely, uh, would take your feedback on this. You know, I, I keep, all the, a, a chart of all the races in the, mm -hmm. in the was a good race poll. And I categorize them type, you know, intermediate, short road, super one mile Oof. other. Um, I feel like this should be categorized with the super speedways in the poll. Um, how do you feel like I should categorize it in the, what, what category does this Atlanta race fall into? I, I don't know how you couldn't watch this race today and not think, it was a not a Daytona or Talladega type race. I think if you would have told somebody just watch this and they would not have known anything, they would have thought this is like restrictor plate racing back in the day. Absolutely has to fall in that category of a super speedway race. Yeah, I, I agree. I honestly think. Um, what, what what are your thoughts on this? We should you know. Yeah, I'm looking forward our, to Bristol Dirt. No, we're not going there. <laughs> what are your thoughts on? Like I, I know, for instance, like um, Richmond way back in the day, Richmond was a, yeah. a very, very different track than the current Richmond track is. And yet it's all grouped together in the track history. But this Atlanta race, should this Atlanta race, you know, be kept separate? Like, should this be an entirely different, Ooh. you know, like in racing reference and all that stuff? Yeah. Should this be an entirely different track? Because you can't say, well, this guy's won at Atlanta seven times or he has this top, this average finish there is a completely, completely, completely different track. And that, that would kind of go against a lot of track history in a way, just because, um, they, they don't really do that for reconfigurations like a Texas or something like that. But this was so extreme. How could you, how could you say it's the same track? It's not the same track at all, really. 
Um, would you be in favor of separating it out in terms of records? That's a really great question. That's really kind of deep, actually. <laughs> um, I would, because this is so different than what previous Atlanta was. It's in different, it's different everything, except the only thing really the same is the track length is about the same and the name of the track is the same. Other than that, everything has changed. I, I think you would have to keep separate records. I think, I don't know what that line is though. Like I'm okay with Richmond kind of being the same because I don't know. I mean, it's a little bigger track, but it doesn't seem weird to me because it's still a short track, but this is just a completely different animal. I don't know how you can, I don't think you can compare the two. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's not this extreme, but it's almost similar to like, if they didn't, if they did the Fontana redesign as a short track and they kept mm-hmm. keeping the Fontana records, even though it's a short track now, like that doesn't make, you know, it's a different track. Yeah. Again, it's not that extreme, but this, yeah, this to me was a super speedway. The other Atlanta races have been a intermediate track and they don't race like that anymore across all three series because the banking's so high. It doesn't really, I mean, cer- certainly the package plays into it, but anyway, uh, it's not our, not our decision, but something to, <laughs> something to mull on. It, but it has, I mean, implications because I mean, you, you look at Kevin Harvick, it's, you know, it, he's what the all time Atlanta race winner or something like that. You know, he's, he owns a bunch of the stats here and it's like, does that does he continue to add to that if he wins here? I mean, I, I actually thought about today as he was leading. I was like, I almost tweeted something of that nature, like, oh, Kevin Harvick typically dominating in Atlanta again, you know, tongue in cheek, but it's true, but it's not the same. So it doesn't feel like you can have that 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 legacy continue forward. Yeah. Well, there were some other races today, and uh, in fact, I've been sitting in this chair. Uh, it is now seven thirty p.m. here in Mountain Time. I've been sitting here since. 8.30 a.m. pretty much uh, because uh, aside from, of course, the bathroom breaks and the snack breaks briefly. Um, what kind of snacks? Well, uh, let's see. I ordered a pizza midway through the race because I was like, this is taking a long time. Had um, all sorts of like crackers. What kind of toppings peanut- on the pizza? Look, I don't want to be... If I tell you what kind of toppings on the pizza, I'm going to open myself up to extreme. Oh no! Now you got no, 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 no. Now you got to tell me. No, you can't do that. That's not fair. You you open the door now. What is it? Look, I I'm in favor of pineapple on pizza. I okay? love it. And it's I, my favorite. Okay, all it's right. It's my favorite. Well, Jalapenos, Canadian bacon, and pineapple are my go-to order. I I ordered a Hawaiian pizza. Now there's a lot of Amen. people out there who are like extremely extremely yeah. anti pineapple on pizza. And I don't even like to tell people about this Oh, because I, it's you're, you're opening yourself proud. To, to extreme judgment. Yeah, no, I'm going to get judged. Be you're going to get judged too. I don't care. Be proud of what you like. It's okay. People are different. They're going to like different tastes. Our friend NASCAR chasm. He is very anti pineapple pizza and we go back and forth all the time. And he, he's frankly wrong. I, it's excellent. He's also anti in and out burger. So let's not yeah, that's like, a good go point. ahead and think that he has the best taste there. Anyway, um, <laughs> Speaking of good taste, I mean, uh, I th- I think anybody with good taste would have enjoyed the F1 race this morning. Oh, uh, man, what a way for F1 to open oh. their season! I was so I was so like super hyped up for this race. I don't know, you know, I'm not saying I was as hyped up as like I was for the championship um, last December, but I was like amped for this. Like I could not wait to see what was going to happen because of all the things that we'd seen. Like, is Mercedes like really off? Is Ferrari for real? Um, you know, what's going to happen with Red Bull? What's going to happen with Haas? Are like, are they going to, are they going to have a good performance? Like what, what is going to happen in this race? 
And so many of our questions were answered, but in a wild way. <laughs> and uh, first of all, I, I, I take shots at you all the time when you're wrong. You were extremely right about what was going to happen, um, at least so far. You completely called it in our F1 preview that we did for The Athletic, and you actually recruited other writers who are um, F1 followers or fans from around, you know, baseball writers, all the stuff that you had as part of this preview. We got a bunch of people from The Athletic who, who follow it closely to all weigh in and give our opinions on all different stuff about what's going to happen in F1 this year. And you said, Ferrari is going to be for real. They're going to be good. You were on the Ferrari thing. And I was out there saying, nah, I can't see it. You know, I just can't picture it. And I, I thought, oh, Mercedes is sandbagging. You know, they'll rise up. And, it, you know, I thought McLaren's going to be better. Sure, but, you you're, know, you're, but you're not wrong, though. Like, I mean, Mercedes does this every offseason. It feels like, oh, we're horrible. Oh, woe is us. Like, it, so it's kind of like you kind of look at it like, stop, just stop. You're the pretty girl. We all know you're pretty. Stop saying you're ugly. We get it. You know, and Ferrari, like, I mean, how many times we get, like, they're so, they're, I, I made the analogy this week to somebody, like, they're like the New York Mets. Every offseason, they make all of these splashy moves, and people get all excited, and they think, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. The Mets are back. This is going to be, like, 86 all over again. And it's like, no. Not only do they not, are they not good, they find, like, new and spectacular ways to, like, bumble and stumble and, like, just make fools of themselves. So it's like, it's justifiable, but it's just, as I wrote, it's like, this is a different Ferrari. It's like they did like a house cleaning and they brought in competent, smart people. They don't make the same mistakes and it's taken a while, but they've put the pieces in place. And I'm kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt, like kind of, but good to them. Now, like this is, you have to do this. You can't just have like one week of this though. You got to like, you got to start stringing these together. And that's the question, you know, like, and you know, Red Bull was really, really good today. And until the end when they had some issues and Mercedes was even the Hamilton finished in third, which feels like a win. Like they're off the pace. Like they, they, there's work to be done there. Yeah. So, I mean, Mercedes is clearly the third best team. They're not in the league of Ferrari and Red Bull right now. I'm not saying they can't get there, but they got extremely lucky to get up as high in the points as they did today, only because Red Bull grenaded their engines or whatever happened. Plus Gasly, <laughs> Also, I mean, he had maybe the same problem. I, I didn't get to read all the uh, post-race breakdown of everything to, to see if they were all the same issue or not. But um, certainly they all had problems that took them out. And uh, But I, I will go back to your Ferrari point. I mean, yeah, they, they looked great um, during testing. They looked great, you know, during the weekend and qualifying and everything um, with Leclerc getting the pole. But, you know, I'm like, even even on that late restart when the safety car came out, um, and Verstappen, he had said he was having problems, steering problems at that point. And I guess it turned out to be much worse. And, but I was like, oh, Verstappen, he's got him here. Uh, and this is going to be the Ferrari choke job. Like something's going to happen mm -hmm. to, to Leclerc. And, you know, it's going to be another Red Bull win, another Ferrari gut punch. I mean, even up until like the final laps, essentially, I was like waiting for something to go wrong. <laughs> uh, but no, Ferrari one, two finish. Um, signs look great. Uh, I mean, he even said he has more work to do and to get more speed out of it. And, uh, you know, really, really impressive. They, they are clearly there to play. Um, and obviously Verstappen's going to be in the mix as well. I'm, you know, kind of on the fence about Perez seemed like he wasn't really, um, up there as much today. He's always going to be second fiddle to Verstappen, but still you, he's way too inconsistent, little... way too yeah. inconsistent. 
Um, but yeah, Mercedes to get up there, uh, in, you know, <laughs> to salvage their day. Uh, and how about, how about Haas F1 team is third in the constructor standings right now? <laughs> <laughs> just, you're Haas, you're just packing it in. Like, I'm good. We're done. We're leaving right here. What a story. What an absolute mind blowing story to think their, their turnaround. And, and a lot of it is because of, you know, the Ferrari powered engines right now. Anybody that has a Ferrari engine seems to be doing quite, quite well. I mean, uh, Alfa Romeo and, uh, Botas get a, a P6 today, but Magnuson to go from having no idea that you're going to be returning to F1 at all, only back because Russia invades Ukraine and the whole thing happens with Mazepin and his dad getting sanctioned and them losing the, losing his ride and they, you know, not doing the sponsorship anymore. Then they just be like, all right, who, who are we going to call here? Uh, let's bring Magnuson back. He decides to come back and then he goes out, qualifies well, and then finishes P5. What? That's crazy. What a story. Uh, amazing. I love seeing all like the, the social media videos of just, uh, the smiles there, uh, just feels like Haas is, is rejuvenated and people have a reason to sort of root for them again. And, um, it doesn't have to feel disgusting, you know, like, you know, it's, it's really hard with the, with the politics. It's hard to separate the politics with anything going on, even before recent events. And it's like, it feels good. Like it, it feels nice to see an American team have success in formula one and, and have drivers behind the wheel that you can do. And even Mick Schumacher today did a really good job. His best career finish P11, yeah. um, almost gotten the points, but, uh, now I've gotten mixed feedback on, on Twitter. Uh, and in fact, the broadcasters were debating about it too, as far as like, um, the Chinese driver, Zhou Guan Yu mm-hmm. or Guan Yu Zhou. Uh, I guess in, in, you know, in Chinese, it can go either way. I think he has said that he prefers to be, Zhou Guan Yu, like the, that name first. Anyway, um, P10 in the points in his first ever F1 race. Uh, super impressive there. Uh, so that denied Mick Schumacher from um, being able to get in the points. But still, uh, anyway, quite the quite the cracking start for the F1 season. They go again in Saudi Arabia next week, um, another night race. And I love, Jordan, how this it almost felt like a mini Memorial day weekend today because you had the F one race, um, mid morning oh. in, uh, in Eastern time in, in the United States. And then you went immediately into the IndyCar race, which they wisely scheduled, uh, NBC put them on uh, network TV, but they did it not head to head with the NASCAR race, got that race over. And then there was literally like, I don't know. I think it was like 17 minutes between the checkered flag, uh, of, IndyCar and the green flag of NASCAR or something like that. I mean, just one right into another all day long, absolutely jam-packed. You were able to watch the full races, I think, of each one and uh, maybe a little bit of overlap with F1, the end of F1 and the start of IndyCar, but still like great experience as a racing fan and viewer to be able to watch them just back-to-back like that on a Sunday. Awesome. I wish I, I watched bits and pieces, a good chunk of the F1 race, but I was watching it on my phone as I walked through the garage and stuff. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I saw nothing of the IndyCar race uh, in all honesty, but it, it's cool. It's nice to see. There was like this excitement of like, oh my God, this is, this, like you said, I think Memorial Day kind of felt like that, that Sunday. Like this is a, a day of celebration for motorsports and it's, it was cool. It's nice to see. You'd like to see that kind of camaraderie and kind of everyone coming together. And I would say even this, 
you go back to yesterday, you, you had Sebring this weekend, the 12 hours of Sebring. And it just, it was like a, it was just a lot of cool, big events in motorsports and it was fun. Well, one thing we need to worry about is, are we a, are we some sort of a jinx? Because we had Zach Brown <laughs> on last week's podcast, um, from McLaren CEO, of McLaren racing and McLaren just absolutely was dog awful. Oh my gosh. They were terrible all weekend. Um, terrible qualifying effort. I mean, Ricardo looked completely lost and, you know, you could say, well, you know, maybe it's cause he missed the testing, uh, and was, you know, with COVID and was recovering and all the stuff and didn't get the seat time. But, uh, Lando Norris was not in the points and not even close either all day long. And, uh, I saw some comments from him afterwards. It was like, yeah, it's pretty much as bad as it looked. <laughs> so, wow. Huge. Uh, I mean, McLaren, you, you know, we're going into it saying, oh, they're going to be fighting for third. Whew, yikes. They're, they are in big trouble right now. They, they've really got to make, get some, uh, work done on that. Yeah. It's not good. And with Ferrari really kind of seemingly taking that next step and, and kind of, I don't know, maybe joining the class of Mercedes and Red Bull, um, it, the gap between third and fourth is now much bigger and thought McLaren was going to kind of move up the ranks. We thought Norris was going to be able to contend for wins this year. Ricardo won last year, continued that. One race, you don't want to write them off after one race, but you know how these things go, Jeff, in Formula One. It's like, if you don't got speed, you don't got speed. And it's hard to play, unless you're Mercedes, it's really hard to play catch up. Well, and to that point, I mean, if you do have it, it's easier to sort of maintain it and tweak on it than yeah. playing from behind. And I wonder, I mean, could we see Haas have a decent year? Could we see Alfa Romeo have a decent year? Um, I mean, Alfa Romeo to have, get both drivers in the points today. It's like, what? Whoa, this is really different. I mean, the new regulations certainly playing a factor right away. We'll have, we'll have to see how it progresses. We can't judge too much off one race. And of course, if the two Red Bull drivers had gotten the finishes they deserved, it would have knocked a bunch of other people down the running order. So it would have been a different storyline a bit, but, um, I don't know. Very curious. Um, as far as IndyCar, uh, I did get to watch that race today and, uh, you know, the first part of the race, you know, you're, it's, it's a lot of the, like the, uh, oh man, Texas, Texas is ruined. Um, Nathan Brown from the Indy star, uh, wrote a really good in-depth piece on, on all the problems they've been having at Texas motor speedway. You know, they had had this volunteer practice for the Indy car drivers, um, to go up and they added extra downforce and to go run the top lane with tires, um, to risk their cars. There was no benefit. Uh, some mm -hmm. teams sat out. Uh, there was no benefit to doing so, except they were just trying to make a second racier lane on, in that PJ one. And, uh, it did not work. They still could not use it. He had some interesting data where, you know, we, we've all talked about the PJ one at Texas. They, you know, it got, it seeped into the track. It ruined the track and the top groove for NASCAR. IndyCar never wanted it. Um, but now they can't get it out. And even, uh, on the part that is blackened because of it, because that attracts more heat or whatever, um, Nathan Brown, uh, had some interesting data that said from, from Firestone, that area, because it sucks up more of the heat from the sun, it has 20% less grip than the bottom. And sure enough, we saw a few incidents, um, where people would just get up a little bit into the PJ one stain and snap around and their race was over and ruined. Um, but we also saw by the end of the race, some extremely good racing, uh, very entertaining. And I was like, wow, this is IndyCar is really actually putting on a show here at Texas way better than people thought. And, uh, it, it looked like it was going to be a Scott McLaughlin 
win. He was going to make it two for two. Uh, he gets tracked down and passed coming to the finish line. Very last, you know, second by his teammate, Joseph Newgarden, uh, to steal the win away. But that was very entertaining. But I, to me, I think the big story was Jimmy Johnson. Surely you saw that uh, he finished P6 and looked strong doing it, Jordan. He he made some – now, he you know, he started like he was 18th maybe in the first half of the race, and you're like, wow, what's going on? But there was a couple wrecks in front of him he avoided, and then he started making moves, like bold moves, passing on the outside past cool. Scott Dixon, uh, passing Alex Pillow, the defending champion, and his teammate. Um, really getting up into the mix and making some like aggressive moves, looking like he belonged. And, you know, you, it'd be easier to look back now and go, oh, well, yeah, Jimmy Johnson on an oval, of course it makes sense. But there was no guarantees. I mean, looking at his record in IndyCar, his best finish until today was 17th. So for him to go out and get P6, um, big statement and very encouraging for him, I, th- I thought. It's interesting because, you know, I talked to Johnson in January going to the Rolex 24 and we talked about him going on an oval. He said he was really, really confident. And it goes back to a test he had last fall where he was running lap times and Scott Dixon was there as well. And he's like, my, my times were, you know, as good as Scott's. And you hear this and it's like, okay, testing is one thing, but then to go there and do it and to leave with a sixth place finish, that's, that's great. And he was confident because he had familiarity with Texas. It's so different. You know, it's apples to oranges in terms of the cars and everything. But it, it, he just says, like, I know the track. At least I know there. I'm not going there blind. And it seems like that confidence manifested itself as he gets more comfortable with the car. And as you said, he, you know, running 18th. And as the race goes on, he's getting bolder and bolder. That's great to see. And it's an encouraging sign for a driver whose IndyCar career right now has kind of been a struggle. And you got to think going into Indy, he's going to be feeling pretty good about that because that is a track again where he's going to have some familiarity with. And I think that's the big key, right? Because no matter what, no matter how he did at Texas, Jimmy Johnson in the Indy 500 was going to be a storyline, right? Like people were going to build that up as like, wow, seven-time NASCAR champion, trying the Indy 500 for the first time. How's he going to do um, all that stuff? But now you can make a real argument and not be disingenuous whatsoever um, you know, like, like for instance, like when Fernando Alonso was coming over, um, even when he made the race, you're like, well, okay, like, let's see what, how he does. But you weren't thinking Fernando Alonso is going to go win the Indy 500. At least I wasn't, you know, um, you're like when Kurt Busch to the double, I mean, he, Kurt Busch did very respectable, but I don't think people were going into it being like, can Kurt Busch win this race? Um, uh, but now you see with Jimmy Johnson having done so well on an oval, uh, you know, building that confidence, getting up to speed. When he goes there, I mean, I think it's it's not. Look, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's not completely far fetched. It's not like the wouldn't be the biggest shocking thing ever out of nowhere um, for him to go there and run pretty well and be competitive and and give himself a chance to win. Now that would be a mega massive story if he was somehow able to do that, and it seems difficult to picture in this moment. But um, at least you could say, well, that that storyline has some credibility to it now, whereas. You know, had he, had he gone out and like just run 18th all day and not really made a move, it would have been like, okay, well he's going to be in the race, but is he really going to have a chance? So, um, that's, that's going to be something to watch for sure. It is. And I, I look at it like, you know, when Kurt Busch went there in 2014 and he finishes six, it's like no experience, not a lot of testing. It's like, why can't Jimmy uh, match that? Why? He's got more experience in IndyCar. He's with a great team. 
Um, just, I mean, top 10 doesn't seem like it's unrealistic. Like it, that should be the goal and it's, that's obtainable. Yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be very, very interesting to watch for sure. Um, well, any final thoughts? I mean, we've got a, a triple header at, at Coda next week. Uh, F1 goes to Saudi Arabia. So that should be interesting. Uh, motorsports definitely back in full swing and it feels good to have, to see, uh, you know, crowds again, uh, Atlanta crowd looked great. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, feels like some normalcy feels like spring is here. Any, any final thoughts on anything going on, uh, coming up? Great weekend of racing. We're getting into it now. Formula one's back. IndyCar is starting to rev up. NASCAR is going to hit some really interesting tracks coming up. Bristol dirt, Jeff, get excited. Um, I just look at the, look at your smile, look at your smile. It's oh, get excited. Um, no, it's good. Um, I got nothing else. I'm sitting on a case of water and my back is killing me. So I'm good. Yeah. You have quite the background there. I mean, I can tell that you're in a closet. I'm so. literally in a closet sitting on a case of water and it is very uncomfortable. <laughs> now, now this is one thing that's interesting to me because you had tweeted this morning that it was very cold in Atlanta and I tweeted back, uh, a gif of the, of a jacket, uh, somebody with high fashion. I was thinking that you'd have one of your famous Jordan Bianchi sport coats. However, I can see on the zoom here, you're wearing a coat that says Reebok all over it. And this is not something that looks like your style at all. I've never seen this coat. It doesn't seem so, fitting of Jordan Bianchi. I am not a Reebok guy, shall we say, but my options were kind of limited this morning when it was 35 degrees on my way in and the only places that were open were a Walmart. And so it's not funny, Jeff. So you can imagine my dismay as I was perusing. Now, I wish you wouldn't even said it was Reebok because you won't. If you actually look at the jacket, it's actually quite stylish. No, 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 no BS. Like it actually is a very nice, very nice fitting, form fitting jacket. Oh. It looks good. And the only downside is it's a Reebok jacket and it's not something I'd really normally wear, but it does look good. It doesn't actually, if you wouldn't know, it actually looks pretty stylish. Oh I got compliments. Gosh. I got compliments today. I can't even tell you how much this has made my day. This has truly capped off my day and been the best part of my day. If you guys like, for those of you who've seen Jordan Bianchi, been around Jordan Bianchi, always the pinnacle of style, always making fun of my dad's style for wearing. I don't look like a dad. I do this. Do not, do not sit there and say, I look like a dad. That is. You're wearing a Reebok jacket no, from Walmart. Is, no, 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 no. It is a form fitting black sleek jacket. That is stylish. Not a dad. Look. Don't be mean. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to read Jordan Bianchi's dad style um, musings on the athletic you can go to theathletic.com slash the teardown to subscribe to all our work we'll have plenty of content for you there um and we appreciate you of course as always for listening to the teardown Perfect. we will talk to you <laughs> next Perfect. time next week on the six best nascar podcast see you, everybody